We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a news bulletin. You ever, have you ever heard those words or something similar? We interrupt this broadcast. Or it could be, maybe you're even in a building and there's an announcement. We, your attention, please. It's an interruption. Immediately your attention is riveted to that TV or device or the loudspeaker. You know that if this news is so urgent that the broadcasters or the announcer has to stop your whatever you're doing, it must be some very important news. Perhaps something that will change history or change your life. You know, God is an interrupter. He's been interrupting people since time began. He interrupts human history, and he interrupts people's lives. And whenever he interrupts them, he turns them upside down. Now, the Lord may be on the verge of interrupting your life, so I hope you will listen to what his word says today. God does not wait for a time that's convenient for us to interrupt our lives. He does it in his time. And the Bible is full of these divine interruptions. Now, the greatest one, of course, was the, what we call, sometimes call the Christ event, referring to the birth, the life, and death, and resurrection of Jesus. Historically, we call that the Christ event. And God intersected human history and actually became one of us for the purpose of bringing salvation to the human race. So important was this event that God began sending us messages from far back, long before it actually occurred, back in ancient times, to prepare us for this Christ event. He gave words through the prophets. He spoke through types and symbols in the Old Testament to let us know that there was a coming Messiah, a Savior. It was so important that all Scripture written after that event points back to it, the coming of Jesus, as the focus of our faith. And the only thing that comes close to matching it in importance, is, of course, is the second coming of Christ, and that is yet to come. Today we're going to look at the beginning of this Christ event, this awesome divine interruption, his birth, or the announcement of his birth, specifically. You know, God uses angels it's not very, very popular. I mean, I guess it is in a way. People do talk a lot about angels today. But as far as a real belief in the presence and, and the activity of angels, I think most of, most of society doesn't really give it much regard. And I think there's two errors uh, that can be, we can fall into. One is don't believe in angels. That's the completely materialistic view. Oh, the angels don't exist. That's just a fairy tale. That's just... Just uh, fantasy. On the other extreme are those who see angels as an object of our attention, sometimes almost an object of worship. 
They give undue attention to the angels and they forget about the message that the angels were bringing about Jesus. So we want to avoid either of those two errors. But angels do exist. And God still uses them, even today, even though they may not be recognized. And one of the principal functions of angels is as messengers. In fact, the the meaning of the word angel is messenger. The angels often announced momentous events in sacred history. Over and over in the Christmas story, as we read it in the different Gospels, we, we see the mention of angels. And in today's story, God sends a special angel to announce the birth of the Messiah. And a woman's life was changed. And history was changed. Even the Son of God was changed, as we shall see. So let us read. Our main scripture text is from Luke chapter 1, reading verses 26 through 38. Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible." Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Amen. Lord, bless your word. Bless, Lord, as we seek to expound on your word. Let it bring faith. Let it bring direction in our lives. Your power and encouragement in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I studied this passage, I saw six elements, and they form the outline of my message today. I see the source, the messenger, and the receiver. The source, the messenger, the receiver, and then the subject, 
the means, and the reason. The source, messenger, and receiver, and then the subject, means, and the reason. And you'll see what I mean as we go along here. Number one, the source. We read again verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Sent by God. That's the key phrase there. The angel was sent by God because the plan of salvation originated in the heart of God the Father. Remember that well-known verse, John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved. It begins with God, with his love. It is his love that set the plan of salvation into motion. And what a plan it is. What an all-encompassing plan that overwhelms all of creation. And guess what? Many of us are in for a surprise. It, it doesn't start with us. <laughs> you know, we tend to be self-centered. We tend to be very nearsighted in our view of, in our worldview, <laughs> looking at ourselves as the center of it all. But it doesn't begin with us. It begins with God. God was the one who took the initiative to bring salvation to us. Praise God. As it says in Romans 5, verse 8, <clears throat> But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, at a time when we couldn't care less about God, God took the initiative of sending his only son to die for us. The Apostle Paul also writes in Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Notice he says, born of a woman. That's the Christmas story incorporated there into the writings of the Apostle Paul. Jesus was born of a woman. It wasn't just some myth this was an actual historical event that took place. Jesus was born of a woman. And it happened when the fullness of the time had come. God knew just the right moment for Jesus to come. The precise hour in history. And it was time to interrupt human events. Yes, God the Father was the source. It was because of his divine love for sinful, rebellious, ungrateful people like you and me that he put this whole plan into motion. Aren't you glad that it was God himself, nobody less than God, that was the source of all this? Praise God. From the heart of the Father. We also see, number two, the messenger. The source and then the messenger God has chosen to do certain things through angels. They are his messengers. And as we mentioned earlier, the, the very word angel, angelos, uh, in uh, the Greek, uh, 
means messenger. In our scientific, scientifically minded world, it might be hard for people to accept the reality of these spirit beings, but God's Word presents them as living realities. And we should humble ourselves and acknowledge their reality. We may not understand all how they operate and what they do, but we should humble ourselves to accept the reality of angels. And as I mentioned earlier, we should also avoid the opposite error of seeking out the angels directly to help us. If God wants to send an angel to us, he will do it. We don't have to look for angels because we could be led astray to the wrong kinds of spirits. Have any of you had any experiences in your life that you might think of as possibly an angelic intervention in your life? Or maybe an angel intervened and maybe saved your life at some time? I I can think back of a time in my life after I had answered God's call to prepare for the ministry. I was going to Bible College at Springfield, Central Bible College, and I had met uh, Larry Rice with the New Life Evangelistic Center, so I would often make that trip. I would drive between Springfield and St. Louis. And uh, one, I remember one winter night, or it was during daytime actually, but it was very cold and it had snowed and sleeted and everything and the hood of my car had you know, this crust of ice over it. <laughs> I was driving down the highway, I was tired, and all I remember is smack. I hear this sound, which was a, a chunk of ice had broken loose from the hood of my car and woke me up. It took me that, that split second to think, well, where am I? What am I doing? Oh, I'm driving down the highway. <laughs> and it woke me up. I believe that God sent an angel right at that moment to break that piece of ice loose from the hood of my car so it would hit my windshield and cause me to wake up. It's God's grace. I think God might have used an angel at that experience. You may think of other times in your life, or maybe, maybe you didn't think of it as an angel, but maybe it was. Maybe God had sent his angel to intervene in your life. Now, the angel that, sent, that God sent in Luke 1 was a distinguished angel indeed. One of the few in the Bible, two actually, whose name is given, that is Gabriel, the other one is Michael. But Gabriel, the name, the Hebrew name means mighty, mighty man of God, or perhaps God has shown his power. It has the idea of power, power of God. Gabriel has a reputation going back to the Old Testament, where he appeared twice to the prophet Daniel bringing encouragement and an interpretation to Daniel's visions. He had also announced the coming of the birth of John the Baptist just six months prior to this, when he appeared to uh, Zechariah. Thank you, the father of John the Baptist. But notice the contrast here. From the throne of heaven... One of God's prime angels is sent down to the humble town of Nazareth. 
that shows the vast extent of God's condescending love. He sent that angel down from, directly from his throne to this town, Nazareth. The status of the messenger, Gabriel, was worthy of the importance of this message. But Gabriel was speaking to one lowly maiden. Mary, who was betrothed to Joseph. But Mary held the key. I mean, she was the one that God had chosen. She was the one that was ordained to, bring, to be the vessel by which the Son of God would become man and enter into this world. So that's the, she's the receiver, Mary. Not the high priest of that day. The message didn't come to the high priest in Jerusalem. It didn't come to the Roman governor, not even to a special prophet. But it was a young woman engaged to be married, a working class couple. Now Joseph was of the tribe of Judah, of the lineage of King David. But he was still a what we would call a, a working person. He was not of any high elevation or in his society at that time. Mary was a young woman engaged to be married, as we said, and uh, this is very significant that Joseph was of the tribe of, of uh, Judah and of the lineage of David because, <clears throat> because of the Old Testament prophesy, prophecies that had said that the Messiah would come through the line of David. Now, Mary didn't expect this. This was a total surprise for her. And she didn't even understand it at first. This was truly an interruption in her life. Now, think of it. Mary's life could have been easier without all of this. Could have been easier. Because, think about it. She's going to become pregnant before she and Joseph actually come together as husband and wife. They were betrothed, but the marriage was not complete. So she would have become pregnant before they actually came together. We know that there's going to be misunderstanding. She knows that she's possibly open to public disgrace. This is certainly not a burden that a young woman would want to bear. At least not if she's looking for her best life now. She's having to make a sacrifice. She's having to endure hardships for the gospel. But look at Mary's final response. She says, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Verse 38. Mary was willing to accept this interruption. And oh, may we accept God's interruptions in the same way, with the same spirit that Mary did. Remember, every encounter with the Lord comes at a cost. I think of Jacob wrestling with God in Genesis 32. After the Lord touched him, he was partially disabled and walked with a limp for the rest of his life. It was a reminder that he had met with God. And I think of God calling Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3. 
This was a begin, just the beginning of a hard career for Moses of leading the rebellious Israelites through the wilderness. It wasn't easy. Moses did not have an easy life those final 40 years of his life. I think of, the, of God commissioning the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1. He also faced a life of rejection because of God's message. He was thrown into a pit. And among other things that he suffered as God's prophet. I think of God's call to uh, the Apostle Paul when he was converted in Acts chapter 9. The Lord even said, For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. In Acts 9.16. And I think of the call of Peter and the other apostles. They all had very hard lives. And most of them suffered martyrs' deaths. But God used them all in such a powerful way. I think of it, it's, it's like the crushing of a fragrant flower. Their lives, their lives of suffering brought glory to the Lord. And God may call upon us also to go through hardships as he interrupts our lives. Every encounter with God comes at a cost. Now, this was a profound message that the angel brought to Mary. It was, it's never been heard of before or since, that, you know, that the Son of God was going to be born. And it all centered on this baby to be born, and that brings us to the subject. We've looked at the source, the messenger, the receiver, and now the subject, who is Jesus. As the angel said, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Verse 31. Now the name Jesus means the Lord is salvation. It's from the Hebrew Yeshua. Yeshua. And it was actually a common name. It's equivalent to Joshua. But it has special meaning. The Lord is salvation. And you, you know, you couldn't se- select a better name for the Savior, Jesus. The meaning of names is maybe not considered so important in today's modern world, but in the ancient times it was very important. And right now, our, son and, our, our daughter and son-in-law are in the process of looking at names, for their baby who's to be born in February. And uh, so we've been thinking about that. Names, names. But Mary and Joseph didn't have to search for a name because God himself selected the name of this baby. God himself told them. And in fact, in Matthew one twenty one, we read how the angel specified the very same name to Joseph. Separately, he told Joseph and he told Mary. He says, And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Yes, Jesus' coming was all about saving. Praise God. He came to be our Savior. Now, his identity as the Son of God is unique. We'll look again at verses 32 and 33. He will be great. 
and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, those words could not be said of anybody else. It's only Jesus. Only Jesus. Now, Mary was very concerned about doing things right, and therefore her question, how can this be, since I do not know a man? She had never had intimate relationships, even with her betrothed husband, Joseph, so she's asking, how can this come about? Then the angel proceeded to explain another supernatural factor in all of this. So that even the, his physical birth, the birth of Jesus, would be a divine act. It's one of those interruptions. Jesus would be born of a virgin. Jesus had no earthly father. Joseph was his adoptive father, but he was not biologically his father. That's where we come up with the doctrine of the virgin birth, it's stated here and also in the Gospel of uh, Matthew that Jesus was born of a virgin. That's one of the key doctrines or teachings of the Christian faith. Now, I know know in recent centuries it's been questioned, but it is so crucial because the, the virgin birth demonstrates that Jesus is, even though he is fully man, he is also divine. He is God. And that brings us to another doctrine, the Incarnation. The incarnation of the word became flesh. And that then introduces the next point, the means. We've looked at source, messenger, receiver, subject, and now the means. The Holy Spirit of God, sometimes called the second person of the Trinity, brought this eternal word. See, Jesus preexisted as the word, as it says in John 1.1. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus preexisted. However, it was through the work of the Holy Spirit that this Word was introduced to the flesh. Well, you could say it was through the Holy Spirit that the Word came into contact with the biological world of DNA, proteins, cells, and tissue. It's through the work of the Holy Spirit that this miracle took place. As it says in John 1.14, and the Word became flesh. That's the miracle of Christmas. The Word became flesh. And thereby we know that, we, that Jesus had two natures. He had the divine nature, always did, always will. He can't stop being God. He's always God. But he also then received the human nature, So he has the divine nature and the human nature. And theologians, of course, through the ages have discussed that and uh, laid it out carefully in the various creeds of the church. The fact that the two natures of Jesus exist side by side, but they're not to be confused, they're not blended, so to speak, that that Jesus is something half human and half divine. No, he is fully human and fully divine. But we can see that Jesus himself was eternally changed when he became flesh. And let me explain that. 
Jesus took on humanity, took on a human nature. And he still has it. Even today, as Jesus is in heaven, as our high priest, he still is a man. He's a glorified man. He's a glorified body since the resurrection. He's ascended to heaven, but he still is a man, and he always will be. Now, that kind of boggles our mind. This is all part of God's love, that Jesus took on humanity, and he always will be a man. He'll always be a human being as well as divine. So it was a profound interruption, even for Jesus, even for the Word himself. So we see in all of this the three persons of the Trinity working together, God the Father as the source, the uh, Holy Spirit as the means, and Jesus, of course, as the subject. He is the one that this is all about. So we've seen, again, the source, messenger, receiver, the subject, the means, and now, finally, the reason. The reason. Now, actually, we already know what it was. We looked at it when we studied about the source and the subject. We read it in Matthew one twenty one, For he will save his people from their sins. And in John 3.16, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And as we've seen, the very name of Jesus implies salvation. So the reason that all of this happened is so that we could be saved. It's God's love at work. The world was already lost. It was already under God's righteous condemnation. And even today, people know it if they're honest. We all feel it, that consciousness that there's something wrong. People know that. When we share the gospel, we have to link on to that awareness that people will see that there's something wrong and that they need a Savior so that they will appreciate the gospel. We know that we've all broken God's laws. So as we share the gospel, as we witness to people, we should help them to see their need. And the primary need is because we have all sinned against God. What we need is a Savior. And that brings us to John three seventeen. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus fits the bill, and he's the only one that can. He's the only one that qualifies. He himself declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the Apostle Peter stated in Acts four twelve, Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So salvation is the reason for the awesome interruption that we call Christmas, the coming of Jesus. 
which was the beginning of the Christ event. His, his birth, his life, his death and resurrection. And so this divine interruption, this Christ event, has made an impact like no other event in history. Again, to review, the source is God the Father. The messenger was the angel Gabriel. The receiver was the Virgin Mary. The subject, Jesus Christ, the Savior. The means, the Holy Spirit. And the reason, salvation. But keep in mind, this was a universal interruption. What Gabriel announced didn't just affect Mary. It didn't just pertain to the people of that day. It's an interruption for all of us. The message goes out to truly all people. And once that message message takes hold of your life, you'll never be the same. God's interruptions change us. So I would say let's be open to God's interruptions. He's here to interrupt your life. And perhaps your day, today is your day to surrender to Christ and receive him as your Lord and Savior. Or perhaps the Lord is speaking to you about a special call to service. I think back the time, it was in the month of December, many years ago, when the Holy Spirit spoke to me. I was a Christian, churchgoer, a young man, and uh, earlier I had you know, responded to altar calls. Missionaries came and said, well, who here wants to, who here is willing to go wherever God sends you? To do you know, whatever God would call you to do. And I remember I went forward to the altar call. And numerous times I told the Lord that. But then this one night in December, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, Do you remember when, I, when you said you would do this, or you would respond to my call, you would answer? Well, now I'm calling you. <laughs> and I have to say that wasn't exactly what I wanted to hear. Now, I didn't hear it with an audible, you know, with my ears, but I could sense it in my spirit. The Lord was speaking to me. And that was a life-changing experience. It, was, it started that one night in December, but it continued. You know, sometimes we have an impression that goes away. <laughs> you know, if I have an impression, oh, I'd, I'd really like to do this. This is what God wants me to do. And then, you know, a couple months later, we've forgotten about it. But I couldn't forget about this. The Lord would not allow me I couldn't shake it off as much as I tried. And the Lord kept on speaking to my heart. And, well, the rest is history. I ended up at uh, Central Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. While I was there, I was introduced to the Ministry of New Life Evangelistic Center in St. Louis. Ended up here after graduating. And I met Judy eventually. And God brought all these things together. But it was an interruption. And it wasn't, as I said, it was not something that I really wanted at that moment. (laughs) I would have been more comfortable just continuing what I was doing. But it's always better if we follow the Lord. 
So we need to be open to God's interruptions. We need to accept these divine interruptions. Embrace them. Accept them in faith and obedience. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the interrupter. And Lord, we submit our lives, our will, unto you. Father, we don't want to be hard-hearted or stiff-necked. We want to allow you to have your way in our lives. Whatever you call us to do, whatever your message is, we want to receive it, Lord. Lord, if there are any under the sound of my voice that have not yet accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, we pray that today they would call upon you, Lord, receive Jesus Christ, begin a new life. Thank you, Lord, for your word, for it is relevant to all of us. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.